0: Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently. Acapella.edu. Rhett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So, winter is coming. And if you like to be in the outdoors, uh, during the wintertime especially... One thing you need to start thinking about is what would you do if for some reason you're stuck out in the wild with nothing but your wits, right? Just whatever the clothes on you and the knowledge in your head. Would you be able to survive the harshness of the cold? Uh, because a lot of survival books, they 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 focus on these great survival skills, but they kind of gloss over the what you do in when it's snowy, wet, and cold. Well, my guest today has written a book about wilderness survival, but specifically survival during the winter. His name is Dave Hall. He is the founder of Primitive Pursuits. It's a youth nature awareness program where they teach primitive skills uh, in over in Cornell, New York, or over in Ithaca, New York, with uh, Cornell University. And his latest book is Winter in the Wilderness, A Field Guide to Primitive Survival Skills. And today on the podcast, we're discussing what to do or how to survive in the winter, how to build shelter with snow, how to get water in the snow, how to avoid hypothermia, how to build fire when all your wood is wet. A lot of great practical information. I think you're going to like this episode. So stay tuned. Winter of the Wilderness with Dave Hall. Dave Hall, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. This is this is really exciting. All
0: right, so you are a, a primitivist, wild wilderness survival guy, um, and you've just come out of the book about winter survival. But before we get into the book and some of the principles of surviving in the winter, uh, let's talk about how did you get involved or get started with wilderness survival and primitive uh, skills training?
1: Sure. Well, you know, I think like a lot of people, I came up through the ranks in kind of that very typical way. Um, I was an avid Boy Scout. I loved camping. I loved canoeing. And our Scoutmaster really provided those kind of amazing experiences. So, you know, really typically, meaning I was into the backpacking and all the gear and all those wilderness experiences that kind of gave you a nice adrenaline rush. And long story short was that eventually put me in a place where I was professionally leading people, mostly youth groups, through the Adirondacks. And, you know, up until that point, all of my, you know, quote guiding was just like with friends and all that, but something shifted in my mind that once I was getting paid, I felt, I guess, really a little dependent on the gear. You know, I really wasn't able to answer those questions like, what if a bear walks off with my food? What if the canoe sinks? What if the falls apart. Any number of things can and do happen, and I had no capability of of really answering that, you know, those questions. So that, you know, kind of serendipitously, my first group that I ever led uh, through this program called Adirondack Treks led me to wilderness survival because this young man named Will um, mentioned the tracker school, and that's Tom Brown's school down in New Jersey. And it really sounded like a great place for me to you know, learn, I think what I was, was craving, you know? And so that's where it really all started. So I, I began, uh, you know, picking up some of Tom's books and then I eventually went down and took a class and, you know, the rest is history kind of thing.
0: Gotcha. So. so besides doing the, the, gu- the, the leaded, um, guides in the outdoors, you also have a school that I thought was just, it's, it sounds awesome. When I read about it, I was like, I got to send my kids this when they get older. Um, <laughs> uh, it's called primitive <laughs> pursuits. Uh, Can you tell us why you started this, uh, it's a camp or program, to teach primitive skills to kids?
1: Yeah, so it was about 1999, I began working for Cornell Cooperative Extension, which is the organization that houses 4-H. And I've been working with youth through that program for, you know, roughly 16 years now. And as one of my after-school programs, I thought, well, let's see how the kids respond to my enthusiasm for learning these kind of really nature-based approaches to wilderness survival and so really very organically Primitive Pursuits began as an after-school program and then through the effort of friends of mine they took the idea um, and grew it into this huge program that is much more um, in the public eye now you know so right now it's probably you know the biggest wilderness skills program of its sort in the Northeast uh, we work with all ages they're talking about doing a residential program for adults. Uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And um, yeah, it's, I think, you know, and I was talking to somebody about this recently, you know, we, when I say we, there's there was a core bunch of us at the beginning. I think we offered a program that somehow deep down really resonated resonated with people. You know, we weren't trying to pitch uh, in whatever canning sauerkraut, which may have value. We were Really, saying, "Hey, we want to bring you into a place where you're kind of in touch with nature. You're more capable. You're more in tune with the natural rhythms. You're able to, you know, do any number of things. And it's simply based on a really strong and deep, meaningful connection with nature. You know, kind of minus the gadgets and gear.
0: So, and yeah <laughs> what what's been the What's the response to kids who are, you know, they're like, you know, the kids who are glued to their screens? I mean, they can't have that stuff out there. I mean, what's been their response? Yep. They, is there Are there sort of like the, the withdrawals at first and they love it or they love it just from the get-go? I
1: would say overwhelmingly the response is positive. You know, I mean, we certainly know that kids today are plugged in way more than they should be and they have a tough time managing the technology that's offered to them. But when we get them outside, there's something so different, so... Um, so raw and pure and fun that you know they just can't help but feel excited about life once they get involved with the program. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's a win-win for everybody because awesome. we're having fun teaching, we're learning along with them a lot of the time, and uh, yeah, and parents just come back with amazing comments, and it's it's a yeah, it's just a wonderful program.
0: Awesome. And what, I mean, what are your tips for parents who you know they they don't live near Cornell? Um, like me like I, I read about this and I'm like, man that's really far It'll, it's gonna take you know three planes to get over there. Um, but right. if they want the same sort of thing for their their kids like what can they do uh, to mm-hmm. replicate something like primitive pursuits in their own hometown?
1: Sure well you know I have to say that it's it's not rocket science in the sense that I think if you're honest with the kids about where your own skill levels are at and you treat it as like let's learn. And do this together. You don't have to necessarily be an expert. It certainly helps to have kind of at least a foundation and basic survival priorities, so you don't get yourself in trouble. But at the same time, you can be like, you know, pick up one of the good books, um, Tom Brown's book, my book, a lot of good stuff out there, and just start learning together and have fun, and don't make it a try to be anti, you know, school like classroom. Have it be fun, making it an adventure. And so, you know, I think. And, and leave room for kids to have unstructured, just um, creative time where they feel like they're directing themselves. You know, so even if you're not an expert per se at these skills, it doesn't mean that you can't start on that path, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, That's awesome.
0: Yeah. Great advice. Okay. So talk about your book, uh, Winter in the Wilderness. Because um, I've, I've read a lot of survival books, but a lot of them, I feel like they assume that you're going to be like in the woods in the summer or spring or fall, like where... There's some inclement Mother, but you don't have to deal with the very extreme cold. Um, so I'm curious, what's the biggest mistake people mm-hmm. typically make whenever they approach survival in the winter that perhaps, you know, it wouldn't be, be a problem if it was summertime or springtime, but becomes a problem mm-hmm. if it's snowy and it's cold?
1: Yeah, well, you know, really, I think people don't have kind of a raw understanding of the potential of what can go wrong. You know, it, it can, right, you're, you're exactly right. The implications of, of um, a summer situation don't compare to anything that the, the winter may throw at you, right? And simply not anticipating the worst case scenarios and, and also not understanding what your body's priorities are gets people into trouble. They don't know where to direct their energy so that they can actually take care of themselves. You know, there there was that story, um, I think it was in 2006, the James Kim story, where um, he and his family got stuck up on some mountain road in Oregon, and they, they basically sat it out for a few days. They got stuck in the snow, and, you know, it wasn't an SUV-type, it was a smaller car. But when the food and uh, the gas ran out of the car, Mr. Kim left, presumably to head back down to the main road from where they came, but it was hypothermia that did him in. He got cold. He didn't have an inherent respect and understanding of how to deal with that and what could happen if he didn't do things right. And he was found, you know, within the week, he had gotten off trail, circled around, and, you know, he hadn't taken care of himself or didn't know how, and hypothermia got the best of him. So in his case, it was a very noticeable effort, um, but he just didn't know how to deal with it, you know.
0: Yeah. So in the winter, I mean, your top priority should be staying warm, right?
1: Yes. Number one is staying warm. And if you think about it, there are so many different things that you can do to help maintain your warmth. You know, whether it's making sure you're dressed right, making sure you're full of good calories, making sure you're, you know, maybe you're building a shelter or a fire. Any number of things can be done that can help to preserve and insulate yourself.
0: Gotcha. We'll we'll get yeah, into some specifics yeah. about that, but like, let's talk about hypothermia because it's one of those things people talk about a lot. But when I was reading your sure. book, I was like, I don't, I, I don't think I knew what the symptoms of hypothermia were. Um, yeah. Like if it was happening yeah. to me, I don't know if that it would be happening to me. So what are the symptoms of hypothermia that you know that okay, it's sure. I, I need to take action now.
1: <laughs> That's right. You know, and and it's really this is the thing where like being in tune with your body and knowing you know, your body's giving you clues as to something's happening. And the first clue, and this is not like a panic situation, but the first clue that you're losing core temperature is you're simply shivering, right? That's your body's effort. It's, it's literally vibrating to try to warm itself up. But that, it's not a panic situation, but that is, that is your moment to act because as soon as you go into a deeper level of hypothermia you may utterly be useless to yourself, you know, and and the symptoms are all over the place. You might have slurred speech, your body may go rigid, you may stumble, but what happens, and it's happened to me once, and I'm sort of glad in a way so I can talk about it from first-hand experience, is that, you know, after you shiver, you can literally go rigid, meaning you stop shivering, you kind of get stiff, and your brain goes numb, and that's why you hear stories about hikers or hunters, and they they drop their clothing. They, they don't act rationally, right? And it's just a, a downward spiral. So really the thing to for most people to understand is like, okay, I'm shivering. It's time to improve my situation, you know, because after that, the symptoms are kind of interesting to know, but they may be moot for the actual survivalist in the thick of things.
0: Yeah. And so treating it, it's just, it's getting warm, right? Like getting dry yeah. and warm.
1: Yes, right. It might mean putting on an extra layer. It might be getting out of damp things and getting into warm things. Do jumping jacks for a little while. It's energy intensive, but it might be what you need for that moment. Uh, make a fire, make some hot tea, uh, any number of things. Get out of the wind, don't sit on the snow, that kind of anything yeah. sensible like that. Yep.
0: Yeah, I thought one of the interesting tips was uh, don't stay in valleys because that's where the cold air sinks.
1: Right. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. I never would have thought of you that. Get up off the, the floor of uh, you know the valley, just even a little, you, and you'll feel it. You'll feel it when you get up above it. It's really interesting.
0: Interesting. And what about, I mean, is frostbite, I mean, what's worse, frostbite or hypothermia? Like, should you be more worried about hypothermia, I'm assuming?
1: Definitely. Yeah, like frostbite is simply, not simply, it's certainly something you want to avoid, but that's like frozen skin, frozen body parts. But it doesn't necessarily imply that you have lost poor temperature. Right. You certainly don't want to lose fingers and nose pieces, but it's hypothermia that is more, um, more
0: dangerous. So if, uh, keeping your core body temperature up is the top priority, uh, what are, what's your suggestions for dressing to maximize survival in the weather? Because like, you know, I I get the catalogs for the, you know, the outdoor mag stuff and I subscribe to outdoor magazine. I see all these cool, like synthetic fabrics and awesome ski jackets and coats. Um, Are those necessarily the best thing to have uh, when you're dressing for the cold?
1: Sure. So the first thing to do is avoid cotton at all costs, okay? Because what happens is cotton, when it gets wet, it actually sucks heat away from you. So dress in layers, layers of synthetics, and wools are the best. Um, I tend to go with wools a lot because, you know, this whole survival game implies that I'm going to be around fire quite a bit. And synthetics have a very low melting point. So you'll end up with, you know, garments that end up with, you know, little pock marks all over them because they've gotten melted. And, you know, wool is durable and it's quiet and it it tends to be in earthy tones. Um, You know, I also do, you know, I'm not like saying don't use the Gore-Tex and that stuff. I do use, you know, a good Gore-Tex shell. But what Layers does is it gives you the ability to take off things to regulate your body heat because this may seem funny, but if you're being active, you actually want to stay on the cool side because you don't want to sweat from the inside out and get your clothes wet, right? And because once you cool down, you can literally have ice build up between your layers. You know, it's one thing if you're out ice fishing and you want to put on the biggest down parka you can find because you know you're just going to be sedentary. But really, for most of us, um, working with uh, layers of clothes, it's a much better option. You know, I rarely wear, you know, a, a big heavy jacket. I don't even think I own one.
0: You gotcha. Know?
1: The closest thing I have is like a, a, a heavy down jacket type thing, sweater.
0: Okay. Yeah. What about so, footwear? Yeah,
1: and, yeah, I was going to say, so most of these things, like in terms of clothing, you don't necessarily have to spend a lot of money on. You know, you can go to the thrift shop, you can go to the secondhand store, but the two places where I don't skip it, skimp is footwear and gloves. Um, And in terms of footwear, I want, you know, people to know, like, if you're uncomfortable in your feet, that's not only dangerous, but it's just kind of going to make for a really lousy experience. And so I go with um, boots that are built to withstand, you know, negative 20, negative 30 degrees. They have to have removable liners because that enables you to dry them out. Your feet tend to perspire quite a little bit. You know, and and make sure they're well-built. You know, invest a little bit of money. Um, I have a pair of lacrosse Iceman's that I've literally been using for 25 years, and they are still going strong, you know, which is an amazing feat. You know, and then for gloves, because you're working, um, you know, breaking branches and you're moving a lot of material, um, I find that your typical high-end, you know, REI or North Face type gloves, even though they're great for skiing and a lot of things, they don't hold up to, like, the abuse that you're going to be putting them through. So I, I go with leather, waxed leather mittens with um, insulated leather glove inside of them. And that double layering system works well. And awesome. hold up. All right. So, yeah, they don't have some like Yep.
0: Very good. So bottom line, cotton is rotten.
1: Yes, that's right. Cotton kills.
0: Cotton kills. Okay. Yep. Um, so let's talk about, okay, so in, in keeping with this idea of priority being keeping warm, how do you build a fire in the snow, right? Because, like, I, that's the thing, like, I, sure. I, I, whenever I go camping, I get so, uh, uh, like, the fire is the one thing I take a lot of pride in. And it's easy when it's warm and dry and everything's perfect. But when it's wet, that's where I'm like, man, how do you get a fire yeah. going when everything is wet?
1: Right. And, you know, you're exactly right. When you need fire the most is when it's hardest to make, right? right. And let's let's even one-up that what is like the worst case scenario in terms of winter survival? It's not when there's nice, fluffy, deep snow. It's actually when the weather warms up a bit, it's hovering somewhere around freezing, and it starts to rain and everything gets soaked, right? That is like your worst case scenario. And that is probably going to be a better option for fire rather than, say, a snow shelter, right? So what do you do? Everything is literally soaked. Um, You know, there's nothing on the ground that's useful. And so I came up with this little system called the fire burrito, and if you and this is where you know as a, you know a survivalist or somebody who's interested in these skills, you have to start opening your eyes and looking for your resources. And the, the the core of the fire burrito is what I call punky wood. You have to find trees that are in a state of rot that offer you material that's kind of dry, spongy. It will take a flame or an ember from a friction set really well. And then you put that on a slab of bark, and you get it going, put twigs on top, another lid of bark, and that will light itself. And you get to the dry stuff by finding the right trees and pulling away all of the wet stuff, all of the you know the stuff that's been precipitated on. And it's an amazing little um, device. Um, yeah, you can direct people to the website, and they can see a video of that. Um, but, yeah, literally a lifesaver. It's amazing. That's awesome. Very potent.
0: All right, yeah, yeah we'll
1: have... I, I went out. Oh, God.
0: No, I was going to say, we'll put a link to it for sure.
1: Yeah, well, I, um. so it was a day after Hurricane Sandy came through this area. Um, there was no school the next day, and I ended up in the state forest near my house. Everything is just soaked, saturated, and I, without really thinking about it, found a proper tree, created a fire burrito, and I actually had trouble putting that fire out in an environment that had just been... You know, dumped on. Wow. <laughs> so It's a very potent way. Yeah, but you know, I I do have to say that making fire and being so good at that skill is one of the most important you know skills that anybody can master. Because when there aren't other options, fire is going to save your butt. Yeah. And that's by actually, even though I'm a big advocate of the primitive, always carry at least a couple modern methods uh, to light your fire. You know, don't 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 mess around in the in the winter.
0: Yeah, and that, always that's a skill that you can practice at home. Like, you don't have to necessarily be out camping to practice making fires, right?
1: Exactly. Yep, yep. yep. Yeah, I, I even though I'm really good at this stuff, I'm always kind of monkeying with different flammable materials and trying to make fires in new ways or challenging myself. You know, if, if we've had a weather event and going out and just proving to myself yet again that I can do it, you know, always kind of staying on top of things that way.
0: All right. So, uh, along this line, keeping warm shelter. Uh, so like this is the, usually the priorities is like, isn't it like fire shelter?
1: Yeah. You know, in the book, how we arranged it was, you know, we certainly talked about clothing, but we decided to put fire at first before shelter and simply for the reason of helping people understand those really bad worst case scenario situations, you know, because they can happen anytime, And even though I'm in New York State, which most people think of as a very wintry state, um, it, it hasn't been like that in the last 10 years. You know, we're getting weather events that are very fickle. Some one day it's above freezing, the next day it's not, one day it's snowing, the next day it's raining. And so these these situations that are really horrific are becoming more common in my opinion, you know. So yeah, so what we did was clothing fire and then we got into shelter. All right.
0: So let's talk about building shelters uh with the snow. Uh so most people when they think about snow shelters they'll probably think like the igloo, right? The blocks of snow, but you actually mm-hmm. talk about uh the just like a big mound of snow and then you hollow it out. What's the name of that system again?
1: Sure, that's a Quincy and that's kind of a classic north country shelter and it really is an amazing thing. Um you know, if you can imagine that kind of ideal postcard snow it's light and fluffy and it doesn't make good snowballs because it's too cold out what do you do with that right and so what's interesting is that snow of that quality when it is moved either by you know a person or by nature meaning it drifts will become something solid that can be hollowed out and that to me is just one of the most amazing things you know what was once just kind of useless fluff is now serving as a sanctuary to me you know And, um, and that's a fun one. And we've made adaptations from that. That's certainly not my favorite shelter, but it's, it's a, they're all good to know because there's a time and a place where, you know, one of the, one or another one will be the best choice. Um, yeah, but the Quincy is something that I've played with quite a bit and improved upon as well.
0: And does the purpose of a snow shell is it just to keep you away out of the wind or does it actually get a little warm in
1: there? Oh yeah, no, it's, it's incredibly valuable when i when i say the word sanctuary it is a true sanctuary most um snow shelters actually i'm going to say all snow shelters if built properly um are going to heat up simply from your body heat to about 40 degrees despite wow. temperature outside so when we were finishing up the book my co-author john who was really helping me write the book he wasn't as you know well versed at these actual skills And he wanted to go out and experience this, you know, and and write about it in the conclusion. And so that particular night, there was a a friend who joined us. Um, It was about single digits. Uh, I think it got as low as three degrees. And we slept out without sleeping bags or blankets, you know, and it's 40 degrees inside. So that's, you know, over a 35 degree difference. If it's 20 below out, the difference is going to be even greater. So it's not only relatively warm, it's quiet. It's it's cozy it's it's just a wonderful place to be you know and if you think about the implications of not being there you could be dead right
0: (laughs) for those who embrace the impossible the defender 110 is up for the adventure this iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design the exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity the Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme, cargo capacity means more room for your gear, and there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two door Defender 90 the Defender 110 and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money in things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. If you're like my family, we're getting to the busy part of the year. Spring sports are happening, a lot of after-school activities. So sometimes planning and cooking dinner, just don't have time for that. That's where Factor Meals comes in. With Factor, you get fresh, never-frozen meals that are chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. With Factor you get restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, no cleanup needed. It's also less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. So we've been using Factor meals in the McKay household for a while now. There's a lot of reasons why we like them. First off, the food tastes great. Last week I had creamy pesto pork chop with spinach cauliflower rice, roasted green beans, tasted fantastic. But the big selling point, it's easy. There's no cooking, there's no cleaning up. It's great for those nights when you're busy and you don't have much time uh, to, to take care of dinner and you don't want to do takeout because you feel gross after takeout. If you'd like to try Factor Meals, head to factormeals.com manliness50 and use code manliness50 to get 50% off. That's code manliness50 at factormeals.com manliness50 to get 50% off. Check it out today and make sure to check out the creamy pesto pork chop. It's really good. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30 day money back guarantee, so there's no risk. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss.
1: Not to put a too too grim a uh, face on it, but the truth is, is that it could mean the difference between life and death, which isn't always the angle I'm trying to um, use when I'm teaching. But in, in reality, that's what it can do for you.
0: Yeah. You know? What What about instances where uh, you don't have much snow? Like, what is a good go to shelter to stay warm?
1: Sure. Well, you know. So if you're asking, like, what do you do when there's no snow, there's really a lot of options. You know, you can utilize fire, um, use fire in front of a lean-to or a double lean-to or four lean-tos together or basically a shelter. Um, if you don't have fire, you can use something like either a leaf crib or a debris hut, and both of those use basically huge amounts of leaf or forest debris to insulate you, right? And they're just two different ways to accomplish that goal. Um, you know, one of the things that we do often is, try to emulate animals that can help us in some way deer are not for example a very good helper in terms of shelter because they can lie there and they have these beautifully dense hollow haired bodies you know covered in these hollow hairs but a mouse or a squirrel can help us and so when we utilize leaf litter or grasses to help insulate ourselves, we're really taking a lesson from you know those animals and uh, yeah that's so that's something you can do so either with or without fire uh, you know, the debris hut or a leaf crib is something you can do. It doesn't require any extra heat. It's, it's heated by yourself. Yeah. You're, you're, you're the internal flame.
0: Yeah. The leaf crib is just it's just a, a box, basically, when you just pile in leaves. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, simply either um, making some sort of, like, kind of log cabin-type cribbing or utilizing the landscape so that you have a container. Because if you don't, you make a big pile of leaves. Essentially, your your leaf pile will disperse in the night as you move about. And so that's why you need some sort of container and incredibly effective, really effective.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, let's talk about it. So, uh, you know, we're keeping warm. We've got shelter. Uh, the next priority is water, right? Because you can, a lot of people assume it's food because, but you can actually go weeks without food, correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where people get themselves in trouble. They, you know, we're we're in such a food spoiled nation that they think, "Oh my gosh, where am I going to get my next meal?" No, no, calm down. Yes, you will want food as soon as you can get it, but yeah, you're correct. After maintaining your core temperature, you do want to worry about water in a big way. Okay. Um, but You know, and and yeah. I was going to say Go water ahead, in sorry. the
0: I was going to say water in the winter poses a challenge though, right?
1: It does. Yes. Yep. Yeah, and the challenges are really twofold. For one, you don't want to cool your body's temperature and take away precious calories by ingesting cold or frozen water, right? The other issue is if you do find running water, it will likely need to be boiled to make it safe. So in either case, you want to heat your water. If it's questionable water, you want to boil it. And if it's you know something that's coming out of the ground and you feel like you found a reliable spring, it still makes sense to warm it up because... Otherwise, you're going to lose some calories just to getting it up to body temperature, right? And that brings in, you know, an interesting challenge, right? How do you make a container when you're out there, presumably with nothing, to boil, hold, and boil water in, you know?
0: And how do you do that?
1: (laughs) Um, So there's two methods that we share. One of them is a simple technology called coal burning. You know, you can imagine, I think most people have heard of the idea of burning out a log to make a canoe. You know, you're basically taking embers and hollowing out a log to make some sort of a vessel. So, of course, a bull is, a, you know, theoretically a small burned-out canoe type thing. And, and that doesn't take much other than the use of fire. The other method that we share, and this is only available where the uh, eastern white pine is, is growing, is you can literally take smooth uh, sections of a, a branch from an eastern white pine um, and utilizing heat from a fire, get it to peel off in like a big kind of leathery sheet, and those corners can be pinned to make a seamless um, container that will hold water, and you can boil it in. Of course, the issue is is then hopefully it'll become obvious to your to your listeners as well. How do you utilize something that's basically wood and boil water in it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and the the answer is by using heated stones that are then taken out of the fire and put into your vessel, and then you're using heat. In the in the in the water rather than the typical way that we're at, laws used to heating water.
0: You know? Interesting, very clever. Yeah, yeah. So uh, eating snow is a no-no. That's something you don't want to do. Like last resort.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, if you're just out for the day and you've got an infinite amount of trail mix, it's not going to hurt you. But if you're really in a situation, um, yeah, don't don't start wasting precious calories by eating snow. Gotcha. You know? Okay. a you know, uh, spring or you know, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, any are there any other skills you think are really important to know, uh, particularly for surviving in the winter?
1: Well, you know, for me, I'm always asking what if questions, and I think it's, shelter really does epitomize um, winter survival to me. And so, getting out there and practicing in these safe ways is is really going to be crucial to anybody who just starts to take this topic seriously. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of variety of snow out there. Some of it is going to be more suitable for this shelter, and there's other varieties that are going to be more suitable for that type of shelter. And so really, you know, starting to become more aware and realize that there's lots of variety snow You know, we tend to use descriptors when we talk about snow, you know, like it's sugary, it's powdery, it's sleet, whatever. And you have to find out what's going to work for you in any given situation. You know, for example, the igloo is not something that I have a lot of experience with because I don't live up on the tundra where there's old windswept snow. We get all kinds of the other stuff in central New York. And that's sort of led, you know, been actually a, a, a great asset to learning, um, because we've just had to face it all you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> so you know in terms of just a particular skill I don't think there's anything other than saying to your listeners practice and make it real for yourself it's one thing to read a book or take a class but when when it really starts to you know get into your blood is when you practiced it and practice safely I should add you know
0: yeah and do you all do you keep the cla- the primitive pursuits classes going throughout the winter
1: oh sure yeah, yeah that's wow. actually I uh, yeah, probably obviously my favorite time of year. Yeah, I love it. And we every year we host, um, you know, an overnight or two when we uh, we go out in the winter, and whether there's snow or not, we do it. And uh, last year, it was around New Year's. We didn't have snow, so we we kind of had a hodgepodge of camping, you know, situations out there with sleeping bags. But this year, um, we're gonna we're gonna wait a little later when the snow is a little more reliable, and we're gonna go out and snow cave it um, with a bunch of kids. Yep.
0: Very cool. Well, Hey Dave, where can people yeah. learn more about your work?
1: Sure. Um, so my website is Dave dot And I should also say that I'm going to be running, um, an adult program this January with Andatra adventures. So if anybody's interested in that, they can go to my website and, uh, and link up to Andatra.
0: Very cool. Well, Dave Hall, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. All right. Sounds great. My guess it was Dave Hall. He's the author of the book, Winter in the Wilderness, and you can find that on amazon.com. Also check out his website, primitivepursuits.com to learn more about his primitive pursuits program in Ithaca, New York. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, as always, I'd really appreciate it if you'd give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, Really helps spread the word about the show. As always, thank you again for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.